today I'm talking to Marcy Winfrey. And I met Marcy when I lived in Barstow, when I lived, um, when I worked at Fort Irwin with the Army. And she was our favorite bartender at a local steakhouse that we frequented often. And so she's my guest today. And I just wanted to talk to her because I think she's an amazing lady. And she has uh, so much life experience. And how how old are you now? Because I want to say this because we had this conversation when I saw you a couple uh, years ago when I passed through town. How now at your age, you work for NASA. So this is where you are in the present moment. And I think it's so cool. So, <laughs> so I, you know, uh, we can backtrack, yeah. but yeah. I so. would be uh, 68 this year. <gasps> really? No, no, no. I take that back. I'll be 67 in November. So 66. Oh, you're 66. Yeah. Wow. And so. Think about it. <laughs> but you work for NASA now. And I mean. Yes. I, I know part of your story and I know, you know, I don't know the whole thing. And so I just kind of, I just wanted to just talk to you and hear what's inside your brain and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and just how you ended up here. So tell me I where was, you're at now yeah. and tell me your story. I want to hear it. Okay, well, to, well, to really tell my story, I have to go back to November 10th, 2010. Okay. So in November 10th, 2010, I decided to retire from a very lucrative position and a very long career with Nordstrom. And um, one of the reasons being was that my husband had not been really well. He had had a barren aneurysm, and of course, things for us changed. The economy went belly up. We were underwater in four different properties and it was just a time to make some really tough decisions about where we were going to move forward with his health issues and the the uh the prop the the uh economic crisis of that time it was like 2008 and we hung on for a while and we depleted a lot of savings and it just got to the point where i couldn't juggle on my own anymore so I owned the home in Barstow and decided it would be a good move to come back and but, live. Uh, let me interrupt you. You were in Vegas at this time when you retired, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Correct. Having the property here with no mortgage was very um, interesting to me since I was the one managing everything. Sure. Literally everything, all of everything. So... Uh, think of your daily routine of where you pay bills, you do laundry, go to the grocery store, you make beds, whatever it involves, I was the it girl. So to make it less stressful for myself, I made a decision to just like make the move. Ended up in Barstow. And of course, I ended up at the Idlespur Steakhouse as a bartender where I met you. Yes. <laughs> that was, I did that for four and a half years and it was a lot of fun. It was, I met some of the neatest people who like yourself, I'm still in touch with and have great relationships with. Then they decided to change management. I hung out for about a year and a half with the new management and decided that Again, it was time for me to make some personal decisions. So I decided to leave that position, not having a job and not knowing what I was going to do or anything else. I just knew that it was time to make that decision. 
So I started a little company called Sweet Treats because I really love to bake. I'm very much into edibles and sharing that knowledge with other people who are uh, looking for um, remedies for pain or anxiety or whatever. So I kind of got into that. And um, while I was doing that, a position at the Harvey House became available. And explain the- to you what the Harvey House is for those the that Harvey don't know. House, the Harvey House, okay. Well, the Harvey House is actually a uh, chain of hotel dining establishments that were started by Fred Harvey in the mid-1800s. At one time, there were 84 of these hotel dining establishments along the Santa Fe line, and the one in Barstow is the historic Harvey House, or better known as Casa del Desierto. It is now a public building that is has it's has many let's see how am i what am i trying to say here the harvey house here in barstow now is like an event venue business complex slash train depot train depot yeah yeah so um i went to work in the historic harvey house for the barstow area chamber of commerce and tourism bureau um that didn't last too long because while i was there the city of Barstow, who owns the building, and the chamber decided not to renew their contract. I found myself unemployed again, so once more I was pursuing the Sweet Treats by Marcy and trying to promote my own business here in Barstow, which is challenging because Barstow is a small town and people don't really understand paying for quality. So it was a little challenging, but I did I did okay. I was having fun with it and enjoy baking, so for me it was a win-win. Then I get a call from the executive director from the chamber telling me about a position that was going to be available at the Harvey House with NASA. It was like, there is no way, no <laughs> way that I would ever qualify for a job like that. Although I do have a marketing public relations background, um, it was, I just couldn't see the science side of it. Uh, in, in, for my for my own brain, and so she pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. So on the very last day of being able to submit the application, I just linked in and sent it off. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know if LinkedIn was updated. I didn't know what was on there. I just thought, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to go for it. So they interviewed 13 candidates. Um, it was supposed to be a temporary six-month position with a traveling uh, exhibit called Science on the Sphere, which was actually pretty amazing because it was a six-foot globe that suspended from an 11-foot ceiling. It had real live data from SCAN and NOAA and Hubble and just amazing things. So I got to learn a lot about deep space, which is satellite, robotic satellite spacecraft that go to the farthest reaches of our solar system and beyond. So like a sponge that I am, I absorbed all that information, knowing that it was only going to be a temporary six-month position. 
and really enjoyed doing it. Met some incredible people, um, doctors and scientists, and just really was a lot of fun. They closed the exhibit in March of 2017. So let's let's pause for a second. So when okay. you say exhibit, so there are three, from my understanding, there are three NASA locations around the world, like the one out in Barstow slash Fort Irwin, right? It's called exactly. the Goldstone something. It's tracking station. Yeah. So it's just on the outer outskirts of Fort Irwin, a, a military base in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And from, I did take the tour out there when it was out at um, deep at Goldstone. Mm-hmm. There's three locations around the world, so they can get a 360-degree view of the planet and the stars and the sky and all that stuff. So that's why you, you know, that's how you work for NASA, because there's a location out there. But then they had, yeah, so when you said they closed the exhibit, was that the exhibit at Fort Irwin, and then they moved it to the Harvey House, or? No, 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 I'm sorry, um... October 10th of 2016, they relocated the outreach to the Barstow Harvey House okay. for the traveling exhibit. Okay. So traveling had, exhibit. Okay. Yeah, the traveling exhibit, Science on the Sphere. So, but you're correct. The Goldstone Deep Space Communication Complex does sit inside the boundaries of the Fort Irwin, the, the NTC. So, um, the National Training Center. Sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. For so, the Army, yeah. Yeah. So um, it was only going to be a temporary six-month exhibit. So on, we opened uh, October 10, 2016. We closed March 27, 2017, with the expectation that the sphere would travel on to Richmond, Virginia, where it was headed, and that all of the exhibits would be packed up and relocated back to um, the National Nast- uh, Fort Irwin's. Goldstone's Deep Space Communication Complex, the museum out there. We went dark for about three weeks, and everybody made a decision, the powers that be, all the complex managers, the finance people, um, people at NOAA, people at SCAN, all uh, decided that the outreach really belonged in Barstow. And number one reason was public access through Fort Irwin and to the NASA headquarters, Goldstone. So they reopened in May of 2017 and asked me if I would continue working for them, that they liked the fact that I knew the history of Route 66, the history of the Harvey House, and that I had really strong customer service, public relation back. Now, did you, did you work, marketing. did you work for NASA during that black blackout time? Yes, I did. I was, uh, I was actually still employed through the uh, teardown and uh, with the expectation that I might not be employed once it moved back to Goldstone. And then with the setup, the re- resetting everything up, uh, I was still employed, not knowing that I was going to stay with the exhibits. But, yeah, I'm not sure how it all came about. I don't think it was really ever discussed. I think it was just sort of, like, taken for granted that I would stay and work for them. Well, that's a good thing, <laughs> right? 
It's a very good thing because it's kind of funny because it started out as a six-month temporary position, and then it was a temporary part-time position. Then it turned into a permanent part-time position, and now it's a temporary full-time position. So I just keep clawing. Uh, kind of up the ladder, so to speak. Yeah. I had my very first paid holiday for President's Day in February, which wow, was kind of nice. exciting. So yeah. you are, you decided to go, to, you're working full time now then? Yes. Okay. Because last yeah. time I saw you, I think you were still working part time. Yes, that's true. Wow. Yeah. So, and it's been uh, three years? Two and a half? Uh, three years in October. Wow. Yeah. So I want to ask you, so you, you, you know, you retired from Nordstrom and you find yourself keep working. Now, are you working because you have to or because you enjoy it? Like, why did you continue to work after you retired? Well, I think um, a couple of different reasons. Um, number one, uh, it financially, it affords me to be able to do things that I couldn't do if I were on a uh, fixed income or just doing baked goods here and there occasionally. It affords me to be able to maintain my home because I do live in an older home. So I'm able to fix things when I need to and not have to worry about charging or going into debt for those items. Um, I've been able to travel a little bit more. So it's afforded me a few nice things and my current situation in my marriage is that I really enjoy working and getting out and being social. And I don't get that otherwise. Sure. I, I want to go back to, um, I definitely want to start from the beginning with your life, but I want to, I made a note here. I want to talk about when you were a bartender and the okay. people and the people that you met because you know, everybody travels through Barstow. If you're going to Vegas, you're out in the desert, you're going to stop. And more than likely, you stopped at Idle Spurs. And you met a lot of random people and people who, you know, were on their travels. So do you recall a time? Did you talk to anybody that had any good stories about why they're traveling? Or, you know, where just do you have any good stories about people that you may have met that may re that relates to, you know, what we're talking about today? Well, there, yes, because it's, it, it, you know, it's interesting because people do travel through Barstow. It's a very transient um, community, uh, and we do get an influx of many travelers, um, probably. And, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be at the bar because you're working now and with the community. So it could be from right. anywhere. So. Well, see, and I think I get more people now. I mean, with the, with the bar, I did get those travelers and those people, but I have to say that the majority of the um, customers and the guests that came through the idle spurs were people who were local and were very much repeat business. I had a lot of like yourself, um, and a lot of couples, I had a lot of couples that would come and spend time in the lounge and hang out. So we have to say, for me, at the bar, everything was more local, where now I get to interact with people who travel from all over the world who might be just here enjoying the desert. A lot of people love the desert, and they come here specifically to enjoy the desert from other countries. Um, they do Route 66 by the 
hundreds. So Route 66 is a huge draw. The fact that there are three museums at the Harvey House besides the historic Harvey House itself is a huge draw. So we have the Western American Railroad Museum. We have the Route 66 Mother Road Museum. And of course, our NASA Goldstone exhibits, which are located inside the historic Harvey House. So there's a big draw to that location for people who really seriously travel from all over the world. So hearing their stories, and why they're traveling or what countries they're from or is probably more fascinating or the fact that they are interested in all the different partnerships that NASA has with other countries. Sure. So let's let's talk about your view on life. I mean, just in general for what you've been through. I don't want to imply that you've been through anything. I'm just saying, you know, just... <laughs> how has your how has your view on life has your view on life changed over the years or you know how do you feel about regrets and what's your philosophy on life well i think with your with what you're asking me as far as regrets go i think to live life fully you can't have regrets even you know so for my own my own personal situation having been a multiple time cancer survivor, it gives you a kind of a sense of your mortality. Sure. And the fact that every day is really a very precious gift that only you have access to. What you do with it, how you handle it, how you manage it. Uh, your outlook. So, yeah, I think, yeah. And there, and I, I can't say that every aspect of my life is living without regret because I do have some regrets. Do you um, wish to ter- talk about any of those? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> I think my... Um, or a, a general it, consensus. Know, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I think... Um, Staying, for me personally, staying in a relationship that is somewhat, not loveless, but not, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say because I find that my biggest issue is that I would really like to be um, an independent person making my own decisions without any interference or distraction from my spouse or having to take care of him and maintain all of his uh, idiosyncrasies. I don't know. I guess I have that regret. I try not to dwell on it too much. I try to just know that it's a part of my current existence and I just make, try to make the best of the situation. Sure. Um, in a previous episode, we talk about choices, right? And sometimes we feel we don't have certain choices, I guess, or we're presented with a limited amount of choices. And so for right now, do you feel like you have a choice? You really don't have a choice, right? Because he needs you, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, and stuck. You feel stuck and you feel trapped. I have no choice. I'm I'm just stuck in a situation where there is, 
I mean, we have mutual respect for each other and we have a, a great friendship on most days, but it's challenging to live in a relationship where, yeah, I feel stuck. But you love it. And he needs you, basically. Like, you're yeah. taking care of him. Right. Yeah. So, though you may regret it, there's really, you can't leave him alone. You can't, you know, no. go away. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's, it's a tough position to be in when you feel like you don't have a choice. Yeah. So, let's talk about, did life, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? you know, when you were a little girl and did life turn out the way you thought it would be? What was your. Oh my God. Are you kidding? It's like I was a child of the fifties. So all I wanted to do was be a housewife and a mom. I mean, that was what was kind of like, and even though I lived with a mother who had a very successful career and uh, raised her children, it was somehow in my head that, I had no career desires other than to be a housewife and a mom. And no, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because you just said that you want to be, you want to be an independent woman with your own, you know, life. And then, and then yeah. now you're, you're that housewife and mom, right? I mean, well, you don't have any children living at home, but you are the house. I mean, you have a career and you're the housewife, but you're, it's hard for you. I don't want well, to say it's hard. Some things don't always turn out the way you expect them to. Sure. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, it's, I think it's different when you are thinking about Donna Reed and leave it to Beaver and some of these other things that you, the iconic TV shows that you watched as a kid and what they portrayed to you. So for, for me to have that turn out the way I thought it and perceived it to be, didn't happen at all. So now, yes, I am. Uh, I do have a great career and I've had great careers. I should say not, I've had multiple great careers. And, um, and yes, I am a housewife and I am responsible for all the aspects of our home and the finances and whatever. But at the same time, I don't want to come home and have to make two meals because we won't eat the same food. I don't want to come home and have to do piles of laundry because I'm not getting help from someone. I'd rather do my own laundry. Sure. <laughs> I'd rather clean my own bathroom and not up after somebody else. Right. So it's interesting that, you know, you bring up like the leave it to beaver and probably for a lot of people listening, don't even know what that is. But it's, <laughs> unfortunately, they were, they were like TV sitcom shows from the 50s and right. the 60s. Like I love to see. I mean, right. You know. Right. But yeah. I, I because still... that's what was portrayed to us on TV. Is that how life, that's how life is and that's how life should be. And sometimes I feel like <laughs> that people still live in that era. That if you don't have this beautiful, perfect home and everything's not in this nice little box, then. Like cookie cutter. <laughs> yeah, cookie cutter. Like, you know, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's still that stigma. And do you feel that way? Oh, no, not really. Not now. No. But I think, I th but I think also for me. There was a turning point in 2006, like I said, with my first, you know, um, first cancer. 
And, and it was a turning point for me on how I needed to take better care of myself physically and mentally that I had two children who loved me, grandchildren who, who loved me. And although I raised them to be independent and strong and very viable and like successful in their own rights, I still, in, I still was left with a very needy um, husband. So I'm like, I don't know. So it's like, I can't, live his life for him. All I can do is live my life for me. But so I try to live my life through volunteering in my community, my job, my relationship with my family and my children and my grandchildren and try to see past my current personal situation in my marriage. Does that make sense at all? Sure. Sure. I think we, do what we have to do. Um, and we do the best that we can every day. Um, I want to talk about how you said, you know, you have to take care of yourself physically and mentally. How do you, how do you take care of yourself mentally? I think that's really important. I think a lot of people, and again, I could be generalizing, but I think most people don't realize how important the mental aspect of health is. And I'm not talking specifically about mental illness or anything, just, you know, getting your your mind straight so that you can take care of your physical body. I think, you know, mind, body, soul, they're all interconnected. And if, you know, our head's not right, then all the physical right diet and all that stuff may not help us 100%. So, you know, how did you and how do you, how did taking care of your mental health change and then how do you maintain it? I guess is my question. Okay. I think for, for me, for me personally, um, read reading and following positive affirmations, being able to look in the mirror and telling myself that I do love myself and that I'm worthy of love. Um, not buying into the status quo, like everything has to be, um, I, I think just not buying into, you know, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how to like put my finger on it for you, Kathleen. It's something that I just have over the years have learned to sort of tap into on my own. And a lot of it is through reading and resources that, are geared towards positive um, interaction with myself. Sure. I know you post, I think, every day an affirmation by Louise Hay, who yes. is a great, um, she has a great book called You Can Heal Your Life. I. You Can Heal Your Life. Yeah. She, you Can Heal Your Life. Yeah. That, that is it like is a. Like right there. Let me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a copy. I, yeah, I can't tell you how many people I have. From me, from my book that. The, oh, yeah. Your life is like. It's like a, it's like a, a reference guide. It's like guide. my Bible. Right. It's like, this is like my Bible. Right. So like, if I have something that's going on in my life, I just look it up and try to change the, my thought process. Sure. 
I, I use it all the time because her book, uh, what Marcy is referring to in the back is a glossary, if you will, of illnesses or diseases. And then she ties that emotion to it and then gives you a positive affirmation to reverse it. And I, like you, I use that thing religiously as well and always look up and go, okay, my ankle hurts. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, it means I'm afraid to move forward or whatever it is, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a great resource. Um, and you mentioned a couple things. I know you couldn't put your finger on it, but really what, what is, what defines the status quo for you? Like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think of it as, you know, outside external pressures of the way life should be, or just, is it just life in general, the challenges in everyday life? Like, what is the status quo for you? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, <laughs> if you can. <laughs> the status quo for me. Um... Because you said you don't want to buy into the status quo. So what, what, what do you not want oh. to buy into? The um, the fact that we have to be old because of a number. Oh, okay. To me, that's like you know, it's like I'm not going to buy into that. Like my my favorite saying is, "I'm too young to be this old," <laughs> because I believe that we create who we are and what we are through through our thought process. It's almost like setting out a blueprint. You know, it's like we create, we create our, we, we create our existence. Like I hear people say, oh my God, I'm so old. Oh my God, I'm so old. My knees hurt or my this hurts. Oh my God, I'm so old. I'm so tired. And I'm thinking, God, what's wrong with me? Because I don't feel any of those things. <laughs> right. Yahoo, you know, and I love that I have a job that, challenges me to learn and to grow and to prosper and to I find it, it I feel like the more I'm challenged the more exciting life gets sure and I and I remember gosh in the early 2000s I had a co-worker she was probably in her 60s or 70s and I remember she said something and I was like oh I can't believe you said that because she was you know older and she's like look you know our body might get old but our minds don't no. And I was like, oh, okay, I was in my 30s. And now, yeah, and now I'm like, I was just thinking the other day, I'm 48. So that means I'm almost 50, which is incomprehensible for me, because I don't think I look 50. I don't think I act 50. And I certainly no. don't feel 50. And it's no. bananas to me, because yeah. somebody else could be 50. And just be old like it's crazy yeah. to me and I think maybe it's just the generation now that we're older I mean younger 30 well, or 50 is the new 30 or whatever you know what I mean yeah it's like well, and it's like there's all these like you know sayings like uh 40s the new 30 or 50s the new 30 or you know it's like it's like I have a son who's your age and so there's days I look at him I'm thinking how did this happen? <laughs> right. How did you get this old? Because I don't feel this old. <laughs> you know, something is like, what's wrong with the universe? <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> because it's like, but yet I know that he's he is my son and that he is that age and he's still handsome and hardworking and has beautiful children and uh, <laughs> you know. But there's times I think to myself, it's like, 
this is just what? And he's like you. He's going to be 50. And I'm thinking, this blows my mind because it's like he's catching up to me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel old. I have a nephew that's 40. He just turned 40. We're closer in age than my sister and I. And it's like. When I tell people I have a nephew that's 40, they, like, look at me like I'm, like, got a third head or something. And I'm like, I know, it's just incomprehensible. And even, you know, my sister's like, I have a son who's 40, kind of the same thing. And it's just like, yeah. but I, I just don't feel it. And I don't want to be that age. And I just vision myself <laughs> becoming younger as I get older. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. maybe it's that denial thing again. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you said, you know, you're not buying into the status quo, uh, you know, believing that old's because of a number, but you said you tap into something. What is it that you tap into? Oh, well, I think, again, it would have to go back to the um, positive affirmations and tapping into loving yourself at any age. Just, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's like, it's, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks of you or what somebody else's thought process is or what somebody else's idea of age is. It's what do you think? What are you tapping into? So I think to love yourself at all ages makes you who you are. Did you always feel that way? As far as, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> accepting who you are and, you know, not worrying about what other people think. Like, when did that shift for you? Oh, no, 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 no. I used to be so not narcissistic, but truly into other people's opinions of me. Did I look the part? Did I act the part? Did I dress the part? Did I spend enough time at the gym? Did I put on the right makeup? You know, was I wearing the right shoes for the outfit? I bought into all of that for years and years wow. and years and years and didn't like myself. I really was, I mean, when I look back now at some of my photographs or and I think, oh, my God, I was so beautiful and couldn't see it or recognize it. But when did that shift for you? What age? I think when it shifted for me was probably actually more recently. Like, really? Like, true. Yes, truly. Probably, I would say, about 65. And the fact that wow. I actually worked for NASA. I'm thinking, who at 65 gets a job with NASA? And I just was like, wow, maybe you are better than you think you are. Maybe you're more viable than you think you are. Maybe what you look like doesn't matter. Because when you look at the people who are working for NASA, they're not worried about how they look. They're worried about how they're going to accomplish their mission, how they're going to accomplish um, their job in what they do. It's not about how you look. Does that make sense? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense because I just sent you four different pictures thinking, Oh no, that was not good enough. That, oh, maybe this one's better than the, the cheesy one with me and my Oscar from my community theater. I it's love like, that picture. I like, love that so picture. I had a moment even still. <laughs> so even then, in that moment, sending you a picture, I kind of regressed a little bit. Does sure. that make it? 
Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I'm actually because I've known you. Let's see, I moved in, moved to Barstow in the end of 2010, so I probably met you in 2011. So I mean, that's eight years. Right. So I've known you seven or eight years, and I'm blown away that it was at the age of 65 you were finally comfortable in your own skin and started to love yourself. Yes. Wow. Yes. I True mean. Story. <laughs> I mean, not that I didn't like myself before, but I don't think I truly loved myself or valued myself as a human being, wow. not as a mom, not as a wife, not as anything but who I am and what I bring to the table. Sure. Well, I always say it's never too late. So that's great. There's right? still hope for me. I mean, I feel like I'm getting there. The last few years have been. See, and I think, and I think you're so accomplished, and you're so driven, and you're so. And see, and I see you completely different than what you probably see yourself. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I um yeah. a couple years ago, I took a acting class, and I was telling a coworker at the time. Yeah, you know, I, I want to do it to get out of my comfort zone and like really work on my confidence. And she was like, what do you mean your confidence? Like you come off so confident. I'm like, oh, girl, it's you have a, no idea. That's an acting career. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I thought, oh my, I'm so not confident. And I second guess and, you know, I've had experiences in my life where, you know, people have basically told me I'm not good enough. So of course, I'm going to believe that we, yeah. we believe the mo the negative things over the positive things. And then it's about rewiring our brain to say, I am not going to worry about what you think about me and only what I think about. Of course, I want to be cognizant and aware of other people's feelings and, you know, be kind. Yes. But at the same time, it's really, really hard work to retrain your brain of those beliefs. It and uh, and I've really been working hard the last few years to do that because I I want ha I want and not that my life is bad, but I I want to stop worrying about what other people think and worrying if I'm good enough and uh, you know worthy enough and stop yeah. beating myself up. I mean I am constantly flogging myself and really you know, deep diving into why I do that. Well, see, and I have to tell you, it was up until recently, like I said, that I beat myself up better than anybody could possibly ever beat me up. Yep. And and all my life I heard, oh, you're too thin or you're stupid or you're never going to be anything. You're, you're not going to amount to anything or blah, 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 blah. And all the different things that parents tell you or people, teachers, or whoever. And, you know, and you kind of buy into that. Sure. And then as adult, you start realizing that maybe they weren't right. That maybe you are smart. Maybe you can go to college at 40 and get Dean's Honors with a 4.0 grade average. Sure. Be offered by Beta Kappa. You know, like, you, those are all things that you can do. So for me, it's been, even though I was able to accomplish a lot of those things, it wasn't until recently that I actually was like, okay, with me, comfortable in my own skin. Okay, so I have big feet, so what? Other people have other issues, whatever. You know, we all have issues and we all are our own worst critics. It's like stopping that cycle because you have control of that cycle, nobody else. 
Right. And that's the one thing we have control over is how we react to things and how we respond to things. And you call it buying into, you know, other people's criticism, but it's really those limiting beliefs, right? And I and I think those criticisms from other people, everybody's just projecting their own stuff onto people. Yeah. And that's- and you know, and but we don't see it that way until much later in life that like, hey, it has nothing to do with me. You know, what's one of the four agreements? Don't take anything personal. And that's really hard for me um, because I don't want to hurt, you know, people's feelings. I don't want and I don't intentionally do it, but we all do it. I'm not the only one. And I think it's important. I take responsibility for everything. And I use it. Nobody yeah. can beat you up worse than yourself. It's like, don't right. worry. You don't need to punish me. I'm doing just fine on my own of beating the crap out of right. myself. It's, and it's like, well, and, and I know that you are into crystals and healing and stones and the metaphysical, Louise Hay. Yeah. Uh, in September, I no, not September, in November, I took a trip to New Mexico with a friend of mine who is just... She's one of those people that you just want to be around. She's like very, she's very positive. She's very smart. She's very, she, she makes you feel better about yourself all the time. And she's the one who pushed me to apply for the NASA job. And we've been friends like you and I have been friends and we get together. But she says, you never smile in your pictures. You're never smiling. Smile. You always practice smiling. Just practice smiling. And I said, well, I don't feel like smiling. <laughs> she said, well, think happy thoughts. So while I was in New Mexico, I actually bought a bracelet, and the charm says, be happy. That has all the different healing stones on it, and I had to, like, re-thread it because it broke. And the whole time that it wasn't threaded, I didn't feel happy. And once wow. I put it back on, I felt happy all the time. So now I wear it faithfully every day because I want to be happy, and I want to be able to smile and just be happy. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a small thing, but it's a great reminder. Sure. I want to go back to beating yourself up. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't know about you, but I will, this is an honest confession, if you will. I beat myself up so bad to the point where I don't deserve to live. Like I need to, I made a mistake. Oh, I've had that. You know, and I really need to kill myself. And I, and I am not, you know, I'm not putting, discounting people who, who really try to commit suicide, but those thoughts of, okay, I'm a horrible human being and I just don't deserve to live. And I have to, and there's a part of my brain recently where it's like, that may not be true. <laughs> you know, there's like some of that rational piece going really, you know, look at like, is it really that bad of the mistake that you made in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a really hard pill to swallow looking at why your mind goes there and why it's so is it your ego like why your 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 ego or whatever your brain like really tries to like discourage you and putting in those positive thoughts and going no I do deserve this and no like you know I am very sorry for what I've done and you know I apologize and you know what more can I do without ending my life and so I mean, do you go to that extreme? And I, I I, do you think that. it's a common thing among people that they feel that bad? Well, I think it's, I know that for me, my first suicide attempt was at 14. 
and ended up in Ward B, the crazy house at the county hospital, and then in juvenile hall for being incorrigible and all that. And it was also my first encounter with therapy, which helped me a lot. But I've had throughout my life episodes where, yeah, I just don't feel worthy of love. I don't feel worthy of recognition. I feel like life would be better off if I weren't in it. Um, sure. But I haven't had those feelings now for for quite some time. And I think one of the reasons is, is because I have been faced with life-threatening illnesses, as you have. I have had thoughts where, you know, it, it's like I'm stuck in this situation. The only way I'm going to get out of the situation is just end it all. I'm going to, I'll show you. I'm just going to like end it all. I think when you start really loving yourself and accepting who you are, those kind of dark thoughts sort of start fading away because you are worthy of being here. You are worthy of sharing what you share with so many people and you are worthy of love, especially self-love. To love the self is like, and I think once we start doing that, those dark thoughts kind of don't come around. Yeah. I conquers that. You know, I I have I don't have any suicide attempts, but the thoughts have been there for very strongly, and it, it makes me like I sympathize with those people that do actually go through with it because you can only imagine what their mind your mind plays tricks on you. Because I like you, uh, life would just be you know everybody around me would be so much better off without yeah. me in it, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's the mind playing tricks and. Yeah. You can only imagine the pain that those people have been well, through. See, I know people who have lost their spouse to suicide while they were on the phone begging them to not kill themselves. Oh, my goodness. Or a family coming home to find their beautiful, smart, straight-A student daughter with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to her head. It, it, so it's like when you start meeting people who actually have their loved ones kill themselves – and the all the unanswered questions and it may it's it's such it is a desperate cry for help yet at the same time it is the most selfish thing any of us could possibly do the most selfish the ultimate selfishness is to take your own life and once you realize that too it makes some of those dark thoughts kind of like okay why would you want to do that to your grandkids? Why would you want to do that to your children or to your friends? Or even my dog would probably mourn herself to death if something happened to me or even self-inflicted. Sure. And I, a lot of people feel that way, that it's selfish. But if we flip it, we don't think when you're in that space, you don't think oh, that it's selfish no. you know, at all because you think no. I'm... No, because I've been there. Yeah, you know, like all these people, my grandchildren, my family will just be better off without me. And And like your mind tells you that. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it Um, is insane. And it's the same moment. As I said, said, it's like when you have suicidal thoughts or dark thoughts where you think life for everybody would be better without you in it, it's getting past that dark thought without acting on it that makes you more successful. Yeah, but I think – there has to be some kind of, you know, voice that tells you like, is this really the, you know, is this really the answer? Like, no, like this doesn't even seem rational. I wonder how many people feel this way. I I feel like I'm the only one. (laughs) 
<laughs> but apparently if we could, not. If we could actually speak to the dead and like ask them if they have regrets of their suicides. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you bring it up. Do you believe in life after death? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do too. Absolutely. I believe that our loved ones are always with us. Um, uh, you know, and a lot of people believe that love it, it, love never dies or we never really die. We just change physicality. And right. I talk to my parents and people have crossed over all the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I'm having a real conversation with them. And I've even, you know, had experiences where I could visually see my dad walking next to me. Mm-hmm. It, like he's just there. And it's it's comforting to know that. They're still always there. It's a beautiful thing, I well, see, believe. For, yeah. See, and I have a very um, strong relationship with my mother, who's been deceased since 2008, because this was her home, the home I grew up in, that I live in now. Mm-hmm. It was also the home she died in. So, Oh, my goodness. Wow. Her, yeah. And for her, she always talked about not wanting to be moved for at least three days so her spirit could leave her body comfortably. And knowing the timeline of her death, and when we finally did the well check on her, she had had that, those, that 72 hours or longer to accomplish what she wanted to do. Inadvertently, it wasn't by design or plan. Well, I I would argue that just knowing there's a lot of um, when we took care of my dad, yeah, um, the hospice nurse recommended a book and I cannot remember for the life of me. But there's like stages of death, right? Yes. And the and the dying are amazing because they will not die until you know X Y Z if they need to say goodbye to somebody or they don't want somebody to be around. They have more control, and so your mom got exactly what she wanted and exactly. it were, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. And, and I'm very old about her death and meeting her father on the beach and walking with him and talking to him and, and would wake up and journal during this process. So in the last Sunday that she was alive, she had her great grandchildren, took them to church and to breakfast. Wow. That was the last day I talked to her as well. They get a burst of energy before they go. My dad was like, I want to go outside. I want to get my nails cleaned up. Like he was. I think that to like when he knew I was going to deliver my children. And I don't know if it was, it's nesting or what they call it, but you do have that like giving forth life. You have sort of that same thing. So I think in death you would have it as well. Yeah. I think they say that they see spirits. They know Mm -hmm. when they're around and my dad would, yeah. You know, glance his eye over and he would talk to things. It, it, it was just an amazing, as devastating as it was, just an amazing thing to witness. Mm-hmm. There there has to be something on the other side. Yeah. I, I don't know how people can, can deny it, but they do. And uh, Jackie, that when her parents passed, especially her mother, and she knew her mother was passing, she got into bed with her mother and just held her until her mother no longer was breathing and then, you know, stayed with her for quite a while, just holding her and comforting her and thinking, well, she held me all my life. Now was my turn to know that she was loved on her way out. I thought it was interesting because everybody has their own experiences and that was hers. 
and she had a horrible relationship with her mother. They fought nonstop, like horrible name calling, horrible, horrible things. But in the end, she loved her mother, and her mother loved her. Oh, that's so sweet. That's a that's a a positive way to see that mm-hmm. ending and not be angry. And I was just talking to a friend yesterday, and if I have a regret, it's not being there with my mom when she passed away. I mean, we were in the hospital, but I wasn't in the room with her. And I regret that all the time. Nobody should die alone. And she was probably scared. And, you know, I was 19 and just... Well, you were probably scared too. Yeah, but just, you know... How do you do that? I mean, how does a 19-year-old lose their mom? I don't know. I mean, like I said, hindsight's 20-20, and shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I just, you know, I was a crappy teenager. You know, she got sick, I think yeah. when I was 17 or something. And still, it just haunts me of just not being there for her being alone when she died. And I just, I don't yeah. wish that upon anybody. Yeah. So I think it's great that, you know, your friend was able to put past all that and be there for her. Yeah. So do you have any um, closing thoughts? Um, do you have any advice for our list? Not advice, but, you know, some wisings, some wise thoughts on life. Life is short. Even if you live to be 200 and <laughs> nobody gets out alive, every day above ground or wherever you want to be, I personally don't want to be, I don't want to be buried. I'm going to be cremated and scatter me to the winds. Yeah, every day that you're still here and you wake up and you're breathing is really a precious gift. Enjoy it. Yeah, I agree too. Every when coworkers ask me, "How are you doing today?" I'm like, "You know what? I woke up today. I'm breathing, and that that says something." And like yep. you said, above ground. And I think we worry too much about stuff, things that don't. I, I'm guilty to it today. I, I haven't overcome a lot of these things that we talk about it's still a struggle for me but I'm really working at it to try not to worry so much because at the end of the day we don't get out of life and you know and and you know maybe not everybody has a the you know a better life than than we do because we don't know everybody's story you know what when you look from the outside when you're looking from the outside in you don't know really what their struggles are or what they're feeling today. Or if, I mean, people put, can put on a pretty good front when they oh want gosh. to. Yes, they can. So, yes, they can. So um, I, like I said, it's like other people's opinions of me don't matter anymore. And I don't form opinions of other people unless they truly do something that is so offensive that I'm like, you know what? I, I cannot be in your presence. I will, I will not be in your presence. It's like what, you know, and some people just have bad juju or bad karma or whatever. So people like that, I don't need to be around. I try to you know, avoid that because life is really to be lived and enjoyed at any age. Sure. I think I have to catch myself and, you know, it is about perception and about judgments. And I, I think we're, we all judge people to a certain extent and it's about stepping back. I always have to catch myself and say, I don't know if I even know the whole story. So how can I judge that person or 
you know, so I really try to put myself in check when that happens. Um, well, it's like, well, you know, sometimes you, you do have to, it's like, and for me, you know, a, a situation came up recently um, that another person was like just really bad mouthing another person. And it was like, you don't even know that person. How can you make a comment about somebody that you don't even know? That you miss, I don't know, it was like a situation where we went to a roast, where, you know, a roast is like where they poke fun and, you know, like the fryers or whatever. Sure. And it was like, but at the same time, it was like, I, it got weird for me because of the person that I was with was making a lot of rude, unnecessary remarks about the person and they don't even know that person. Yeah. So why do you think people do that? Their own insecurities their own self-doubts, their own need for attention, or I don't know. Why do they do it? Yeah, I think it's our own insecurities. Or self-worth or lack of. Right, or they feel judged. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, Marcy, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really appreciate your time and just sharing thank your you insights. Asking. Yeah, well, thank you for asking me. And um I love and miss you, girly. I love and miss you, too.